<laughs> but if I have to, if I stop from time to time and
there was a book that became a bestseller. It's called The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. That was published a little after 1918. But they even made a movie out of it, Silent And it was a big hit, and the book was a bestseller. Because if you think about it, 1918 and the Spanish flu, they had the uh, World War One was going on. They had the four horsemen of the apocalypse show up in headlines. And so they were convinced, okay, this is it. So what do we need to know about what's going to happen? World War Two. Everybody was convinced. Everybody in the West, in the Axis, uh, sorry, the Allies were convinced that Adolf Hitler was the Antichrist, the one prophesied. I'm sorry. the side Moving our way down to the timeline. 
that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Look again at verse 41, where Jesus prays that his followers, which includes the people in this very room, by the way, Jesus' followers be one. in fellowship and unity with one another is what? 
Walking in the light. And the Jewish mindset, walking means to live out your faith. That's what walk means, to, to obey God. Uh, to confess, by the way, it literally means to say the same in the past. Uh, when you walk with somebody, if you're in step with them, I don't know if you can see my little uh, finger image here. If you're in step with them, then you're able to keep up with them, assuming you don't have large uh, you're able to walk with them. Okay, so we're walking with God by obeying His commandments because all He's doing is commanding us to be like Him. So that's walking with God. If we're walking in the light as Jesus Himself is walking in the light, and notice He didn't say, if we hold all the same doctrinal stances, He didn't say, if we all believe the same thing about women's role or about instrumental music or about any number of things. In fact, he doesn't even address belief right here at all. He addresses behavior. That's what he's really talking about, walking in the light. You remember that marathon image that I gave you earlier? Let's change it a little bit to maybe match the color of our, of our hair. <laughs> this is not walk to the mailbox. This is a hike. We're on a journey. We're walking with God. John is saying if we stay on the trail the way Jesus is on the trail, then we will have fellowship with one another. See how that just makes sense? That logically, if you're on the trail, you're going to be next to the guy you're walking so does that mean as soon as we step off the trail, we've lost fellowship? Not right away. And that's why God's grace covers us. The point is that we get back on the trail as soon as we can, because the longer you're off the trail, the slower you're going to go, and the more likely you are to get lost. So get back on as soon as you can. Tell the others, hold up, guys. I'm so sorry. I confess. I need your help. I need you to wait for them to catch up. Okay? So that's that's the image that we're going with here. And apparently that's exactly where John's mind went when he was writing this letter, the idea that we can go off the trail. Because here's where we'll finish that last verse. We do more throughout the foretold. The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we change. If we claim to never walk the trail, we deceive ourselves. Here's my best. Just so you all know. Okay. Okay. All right. He will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He will take those stickers out of our feet that we got when we were off the trail so that now we can walk again. And we can read even more, but the point should be clear what we're trying to say about unity. God's already figured out that we're not going to stay on the trail 100% of the time. He's already planned on that. He has blessed us with an ongoing state of grace that covers us when we go off the trail. It continues to purify us even when we're in sin. He's out there shouting, back here, hey David, you, you've gone off the trail. I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, it's, it's a little harder to walk out. That's because you're the riders come back on the trail. 
Now, in Hebrew, in the Hebrew mindset, that means action. And in the Greek mindset, the word means the way you're thinking. You combine them, and you have the whole picture. You change the way you're thinking, you change the way you're acting. That's your repentance. Now, remember those words that we read at the beginning of each class. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. That's the very foundation of this entire class. We are looking at Bible characters from church and, and people from church history to see how they lived Jesus in their time. So that when we look at our lives, and someday people will look back at us and say, we're church history. We're part of church history. How did they live their lives in their time? Some are examples. Some are not examples. One of the best things we can do in teaching is to give our students non-examples. And the Bible gives us non-examples. People who are walking out their faith. Some <clears throat> Perseverance is the key word in that uh, Hebrews passage. It can also refer to that like struggle, by the way, a wrestling match. Perseverance is much more important than any particular skill that you might have. If you just have perseverance, doggedness, that's the thing that will get you through because God will continue to bless you still. And you're going to feel like this is just the way uh, marriages work. You feel like you're doing most of the work. You feel like you're the one who's making most of the concessions. Most of the, and I just don't know what happens. Well, that's just the way of the relationship. If you have a healthy relationship, you each feel like you're doing the bulk of the work. Okay? When you're in this relationship with God and you're really doing all you can do, you're thinking, man, I don't know what I can do anymore for you, God. I'm doing a lot. And that's okay because that's just the nature of the relationship. The fact is, all you're doing is putting one foot in front of the other and get back on the trail when you got off the trail in the first place. You haven't paid attention to the fact that there's a lot of forks in this trail and Jesus is taking you the right way every time. You may not have paid attention to the fact that there were times where the trail was like it's almost lost. But because you had somebody to follow and you were able to get through that rough patch, Jesus is doing the work. He has made the sacrifice that allows you. Jesus is, in fact, carrying the bulk of the relationship. But you do have a responsibility to, to follow. All right. So that's why the writer here in Hebrews says we must run with perseverance and we must keep our vision fixed. On Jesus. If you lose the, the trail leader, uh, you, you've lost the one who created the map in the first place of that trail. Okay? You, you may have a map in your pocket, but you're okay. I got my pocket. What do I need Jesus for? Well, he's the one that wrote it. He's the one that made the map in the first place. And it's through the Holy Spirit that he's walking with us step by step on our journey. So, tying all this together, at the Last Supper, Jesus prayed that we would be unified with each other in Him and 
and in the Father by focusing on Jesus, by being, uh, by, by fixing our eyes on Jesus. John writes in his first letter that if we focus on walking in the life of Jesus, we will naturally have that unity with one another. The writer of Hebrews says essentially the same thing, to fix our eyes on Jesus, to gaze on Jesus. So I want to make this point, and I want you to hear what I'm saying about this. I'm not judging congregations too harshly. I think it's, it's natural. We want unity. So how can we get unity? Well, let's focus on unity. Let's, let's define it. Let's, let's talk about it. Let's, let's look at examples of people who are unified. You don't get unity by focusing on unity. Unity is a byproduct of something else. It's a product of fellowship. It's a product of focusing on Christ. So you can't get unity by focusing on that particular gem. You have to focus on Christ, and a benefit of that is unity. So you see the difference there? It's a paradigm shift. It's a shift in the way you're thinking. But it's a very important one because it makes all the difference in how you spend your time. Whether you spend your time spending your wills focusing on unity or you spend your time actually getting So, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at a time when, uh, in the last 10 minutes, <laughs> unity was threatened to what God's people did about it. And then we'll take a look at a man in church history who desired unity above all else, and how he attempted to achieve it, and whether ultimately it worked or not. We'll, we'll judge him because we are looking at his history. Acts 15, there was a problem with those who were hiking on the trail following Jesus. Big question came up. A fork in the, in the path. Does following Jesus mean to obey the Mosaic Law? Now, a lot of people were obeying the Mosaic Law, but is that a requirement of following Jesus? I mean, Jesus was a Jew. He followed the Mosaic Law. So is that required to Question. And of course, you know, 
just as in the Jerusalem conference, they focused on what God had done, they focused, fixed their eyes on Jesus, in other words, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus and treat each other with love. And that will get us through these tough times. Remember, the focus on this of this class is unity.
follow the Roman Empire four centuries earlier. So I, I have a question, and I know we've only got a few minutes, so when the bell rings, I'll honor that. But, uh, why do you think Jesus valued unity so much? And I do want you to speak in the room. Why is unity so important to God?
prophecy is, is not, or the point of us having our sins displayed here, that's what it was, is not so that we may be shamed, but that we may be glorified in the God that has created us so much. That we have a celebration each time somebody says that you're created. I love that image. All right, stop there, and next week. Just set it on the front pew.